This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. So maybe you understand basic jazz harmony and so learning jazz standards such as Autumn Leaves or Blue Bossa or It Could Happen to You among many others isn't quite so difficult for you. You're able to pick those up easily, memorize them, learn them, but then all of a sudden you get to weird tunes like Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum or Dolphin Dance and Wayne Shorter tunes, Joe Henderson tunes, John Coltrane tunes, and then you're completely lost. You can't really learn them very well because you don't really understand them. Well, listen, that's what I'm going to talk about today. How do you learn and how do you memorize difficult jazz standards? That's coming right up. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Brent. I am the jazz musician behind the website LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Hey, welcome back to all of you regular listeners. You make this podcast continue every single week. And for those of you who are new, I'm really excited you're here. Uh, Listen, I always do my very best to pack as much value into these podcast episodes as I possibly can. So I'm really excited. And on today's show, like I said in the intro, I'm going to be talking about how to learn difficult jazz standards because maybe if you have those beginning stages, those foundational elements of understanding what two five one chord progressions are and you know basic jazz harmony, those those are in place. But then what happens when you get to these weird harmonically complex tunes? Like how do we process those? How do we think about them? And ultimately, how do we memorize them, right? Because those are much harder to memorize than ones that are very formulaic. Um, We're going to go over that today, and I'm going to be pulling out my trusty buddy, my guitar, to do a little demonstration here in one second. Man, should I name my guitar? Sometimes I think about that, like other people have named their instruments, but I just, I can never think of a good name. So I guess I, whatever. If you have any ideas, let me know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Just throwing that out into the universe. So it's around this time in New York City here where the, the weather is starting to get a little colder, um, which is really nice because it's been really hot and humid and horrible. <laughs> and I'm starting to see the fall coming in and I'm getting super excited because the fall is like my favorite season, um, which means also I'm starting to think about things uh, for the future for Learn Jazz Standards. And specifically, I'm thinking about next year. Now, you might be thinking, wow, man, you're thinking about next year already? I'm like, yeah, because you know I'm, I, I'm thinking about the next book I'm going to come out with or the next course I'm going to come out with, you know, these are these are things that you have to start thinking about now as someone who does what I do because, you know, once you dedicate yourself to making one of these things, I mean, it's at least at least five or six months of like excruciatingly tough work. I mean, like if you like every single one of my ebooks or courses is like my my child, right? Like it's like I like nurtured it, I like raised it up. I mean, there's a lot of pain involved, so like. 
Anyways, I'm thinking about these things right now, and I'm thinking about my my ebook that it came out this year, the Jazz Standards Playbook and Companion Course, um, which a lot of people have been really digging and really loving, and kind of a little bit where the inspiration for this episode comes in is like, yeah, you know, in that ebook we covered a lot of basic jazz harmony. We ventured in some complex stuff too, uh, but you know. What about those songs that are really difficult? So I'm starting to think maybe, hey, maybe a good idea would be the Jazz Standards Playbook Volume 2. I don't know. I'm not sold on the idea. You know, me and my team, when we like go to validate products, there's a lot of steps and processes we go to to make sure it's, you know, something that's going to serve you guys and that's going to be helpful. And by the way, if you if you have the Jazz Standards Playbook uh, and Companion Course, you know, let me know. Send me, send me an email. Be like, yeah, Brent, I want that or I don't want that or, you know, let me know. And hey, if you don't have the Jazz Standards Playbook, uh, hey, make sure you get that because a lot of people are getting big value out of that. That's at the jazzstandardsplaybook.com if you want to check that out. So that's the inspiration for today's episode. I'm going to stop blabbing on. Let's jump right into this thing. All right, so let's talk about a difficult song. And the one I'm going to choose today to demonstrate is Fee Fi Fo Fum by Wayne Shorter. Now, if you aren't familiar with Fee Fi Fo Fum, what I'd like you to do is maybe even pa- pause this podcast episode if you're in the position to do so and go look it up on YouTube or Spotify or wherever you like to listen to or even buy it. You know, that would be a better idea. Uh, it's off the album Speak No Evil, which is an excellent album and it's a classic Wayne Shorter album. So it's Fee Fi Fo Fum. Uh, really great song. I, I personally love to play it. It's incredibly hard to solo over. It's just, it's really harmonically complex. Uh, I certainly have not mastered it, but I, I enjoy it. So let's talk about this tune because it's very difficult. Now, I'm also going to have a chord chart available for you to follow along at the show notes today. Again, if you're able to do that, if you're not driving or if you're, if you're not working out the gym right now, that's going to be at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 135. Okay. If you want to check that out as well to follow along with me. But fee fi fo fum uh, harmonically complex. So we need to figure out how to think about this. So there's an A section and a B section. So let me first just play uh, the A section for you. All right, so that's the A section right there. Now, uh, if you look at the chord chart, you may or not be completely confused. Now, we are going to go over the bridge in just a second, uh, and the bridge is really important for defining how to start thinking about this song. But just to give you a little sneak preview here, uh, the bridge starts on a B-flat 7 chord, and then it goes to a 4 chord, and it goes back to the one chord again. Okay, I just gave it away, the one chord. So really the best way to think about this song, and I'm pretty, I'm almost 100% sure this is where Wayne Schroeder was coming from, the, the tune is in the key of concert B-flat major, essentially, or, or a B-flat blues sort of a deal there. So just keep that in the back of your head. So let's start from square one here. Let's start at the beginning of this form, okay? So the beginning of this tune goes like this. And the first chord is an E-flat 7 sharp 11. The sharp 11 is in the melody, right? And then it goes down a half step to a D7 sharp 9. So... Okay. 
Then it goes to a G minor 7, and there's an 11 in the melody. So it's really a G minor 11. So... Okay, so what do we have there? Let's just stop right there. Let's not go any further. We're starting with an E flat 7, essentially. Let's forget about the extensions and alterations in there. Okay, whoops. Down to a D7. So E flat 7, D7, G minor 7. Okay, what what is what's going on there? Let, let's let's figure that out. I think the best way to think about this is you essentially have uh, a two five one into uh, G minor, the key of concert G minor. Except for this this E flat seven here is a tritone substitution for the two chord. What's the two chord in G minor? It's A minor seven. And if you're thinking right now, hey Brent, well I don't even know what tritone substitution is. Uh, that is going to be Good to go back to episode 92. So uh, learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 92. Go back to that episode where I talk about tritone substitution. But the basics of tritone substitution is you're substituting one dominant seventh chord for another dominant seventh chord, a tritone interval away. So the root is a tritone interval away. Well, in this case, uh, there's an exception to the rule here. The two chord is a minor chord, okay? So A minor is a minor chord, but a tritone away from that is E flat, right? but we're going to make it a dominant seventh chord, so E flat. So this is a very common blues thing to do, actually. So at first, when you just if you look at this outside the context, if you look at them just one chord at a time, this is confusing, right? Because you're like E flat 7 sharp 11 to a D flat 7 sharp 9. What's going on there? That just, that just seems really weird. And then it goes down to a G minor seventh chord. But if you realize that we're essentially going into the key of G minor here, and I'll tell you a, a, a bigger context to think about it in a second. But if you think about it and understand it as this bluesy tritone substitution 2-5 that goes into G minor, then it makes more sense. Right? So actually, Wayne Short is not being confusing here. He's being bluesy <laughs> with this, this whole tritone sub of 2 context right here. Okay? So... Uh, whoops. Okay, there's that G minor, 11. Then he does something different here. Okay, what does he do there? He goes up a half step to A flat major, or A flat major 7. G minor 11, and then A flat major 7. Or really, nine, the 9 is in the melody, so you could think of it as just an A major 9. But to simplify it, you know, A major, A flat, A flat major 7. So G minor 11, A flat major 7. Okay, so, so far this is what we got. We got that 2-5 tritone substitution thing going on. Right? E flat 7, D7, G minor 7, A flat major 7. Now here's where things get a little bit interesting here, okay? So, so far we're key of G minor, right? And here's where things get a little bit interesting. Then he does this thing where he jumps up to a B major, a B major, okay? Okay, it goes B major, D7, then D minor 7, G7. What the heck is going on here, okay? What the heck's going on here? Okay, well, here's what a lot of people think. Um, I, I This is what I've read. I'm not entirely sure if it's 100% true, but this Wayne Shorter could be actually referencing... This is around the same time period, so he could be referencing uh, Coltrane changes. What John Coltrane did with like tunes like Giant Steps and Countdown, and essentially his Coltrane changes 
uh, concept is cycling chords in major and minor thirds, okay? So if you think about it, he goes up from this G minor 11 to this A flat major 7, and then he's moving up his the root to B major 7. What is that? That's a minor third up from A flat major 7, okay? So now this is where Wayne Shorter starts a cycle. So if you just at least understand how the cycle works, then it's not so bad here, right? So A flat major 7 up a minor third is B flat, or sorry, B major, just regular B natural, B major 7. And then he goes up another minor third, but he makes it a dominant seventh chord. Okay, it's a D7. Okay, so we got a cycling of minor thirds here. It goes A flat, B, D. These are all a minor third up from each other. So again, we have this. Now here's that A flat major seven to B major seven to D seven. Now he turns that D seven into D minor seven to G seven. What's D minor seven to G seven? Okay. Now you can think of it as it's a two five approaching a C major seven. Okay, in this case it doesn't resolve. That's okay. There's lots of unresolved two fives in jazz harmony. Let's not get too worked up or freaked out about it. Okay. So again, let's review this just in case this isn't clicking for you yet. Okay. So far, this bluesy two five into G minor concert G minor. Okay. Then we start the minor third cycle, the Coltrane cycle that he's starting to imply here. Okay. Half step up from G minor is A flat. So just a half step up, we have an A flat major seven to a B major seven, and then a G seven. Now we're doing a classic turn that dominant seven into a minor seven to make it a two five. So instead of D seven, now we turn it to a D minor seven, G seven. Okay, right? All right. That, that's what we have so far. Now. Now we repeat that again, essentially, with just a little bit of a different last several measures there to lead into the bridge, okay? So here's we go, here we go again. So now we're repeating this section again. Okay, actually, let me, let me talk about what happened there. That, there's a different rhythmic thing going on in the melody rather than... It's not... That's the first time, and the second time it's... Right? Back to that G minor 11, back to the A flat major 7, okay? Now, here's where things are different. Now, we don't do that cycling thirds thing. Now, we go a half step down to F sharp, or rat, rat more appropriately, G flat, G flat 13, or G flat 7. And then, we go to a F 13, or F, uh, really, it's an F9. So it's a dominant seventh chord. So F sharp or G flat F to B flat seven. Okay. So we have G flat seven F half step down F seven half step down B flat seven. Now, do you recognize what's happening there? Remember at the beginning of the song here, we had that bluesy two five and a G minor. Well, now essentially that G flat seven, F seven to 
B flat is the new one chord here. That's the same thing, all right? It's these tritone subs going on here. So you have this bluesy 2-5 into B flat, okay? So the second time through the A section, again, it's G minor 11, A flat major 7. Now, instead of doing the cycle, it goes down to G flat 7, F7, B flat, because in the bridge, we're trying to get back to the B flat. Now, remember at the beginning of our talk here, I said that Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum is in the key of concert B flat major. It's a B flat 7 blues sort of thing going on here. Okay, so Basically, we're trying to get back to the key center, which we haven't even really uh, uh, approached yet. We haven't gotten to the one chord yet in the song. So the one chord really comes out in the bridge rather than the A sections. That's interesting, right? Uh, but this isn't completely uncommon, right? This happens the opposite in Autumn Leaves, where we start in the relative major and then go to the parent minor. Well, in this case, we're starting in the parent minor. What is the or sorry, the relative minor. What is the relative minor to B flat major? It's it's G minor. G minor is the relative minor to B flat major. Now, if you're not sure I came up with that, basically, if you just go through a major scale and you go to the sixth tone, okay, the sixth chord tone or the, the sixth scale tone, that's going to be the, the relative minor, right? So, What's the sixth scale tone of B flat? Well, B flat's there. G is the sixth scale tone. And we know by harmonizing a major scale that it's a, a G minor chord. That's why they, we call this the relative minor, right? So essentially, this song is the relative minor and the relative major. See what I did there? I just made this song really simple. Now, we know it's not completely simple, right? There's other things going on. But if we want to boil down to the basics of what fee fi fo fom is all about... It's all about the relative minor and the parent major. The relative minor is G minor, the key of G minor. The relative, the, the parent major is B flat major, right? And I personally, rather than thinking about, like, for example, we could think about the first chords of the song, like we have the E flat seven. We could think of that as the four dominant, right? Because to the parent major, it's the four dominant. But I don't think that's the best way to think about it because we're really thinking about this as a 2-5 into G minor, the relative the relative minor, okay? Okay, I know this is really ex ex confusing. For those of you who really understand harmony, you know, you're probably tracking with me. If not, you know, just maybe pause this, take a little time to simmer on this, you know, maybe try playing it through your instrument a little bit, try to grasp some of these concepts, okay? But I do want to move on, all right? But I just want to make the big point here that when we're dealing with these difficult songs, we need to do our best to try to boil down what they're all about, right? Don't get so hung up on, oh, well, what's he doing going to the A flat major, to the B major, to the D7? Like, that's weird. That has nothing to do with anything. Well, technically, it really does. He's just doing a little cycling effort going through, but he's really still focused on the relative minor. So again, I just made this song a lot simpler, right? Just by going, we start in the relative minor and in the bridge, we go to the parent major, which is B flat. All right. So now we're at the bridge and the bridge sounds like this. starts on an E flat 7 so it starts on the 4 chord and 
then it goes to the the the, uh, the B7, the one chord. So da 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 da. da. Okay, what do we got here? Da 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 da. da. Now we have something different here. B flat minor seven, E flat seven, half step down. A minor 7, D7, and then we go back into the last A section, okay? But quickly, let's talk about that bridge. We essentially have a blues. Now, if you know the blues, which that's really important, if you don't know how to play the blues, um, go figure that out because that's an important thing to know. But the blues has a lot to do with a one dominant seventh chord and the four seventh chord. So in this case, we're starting on the four chord, like as if we're like, you know, we're, we're, we're on the four chord in the blues, which is E flat 7. And it goes, and then resolves to the B flat seven, and then it does it again, and then it changes thing ups here. Okay, then it goes E flat seven, da 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 da. da. And now we need to we need to change things up around. We need to get things back to where we need to go to back to the A section, right? So then it goes B flat minor seven, E seven, okay, and then A minor seven, D seven. What is that right there? So B flat minor seven. We're turning the one dominant seventh chord into a minor seventh chord. So now it goes to a e, e flat seven. I wouldn't think of this as the one to the four anymore. Now it's a two five as if it's going to the key of A flat, right? Because a B flat minor seven and an E flat seven, that's the two five going to an A flat major. But that's not what's happening here. It goes B flat minor seven, E flat seven, A minor seven, D seven. Okay, that's what we call a chromatic two five. Very common, that happens all the time. You do a two five insinuating one key, but then you cycle down one more. Okay, to a half step down, another 2-5. Now, what is that 2-5? A minor 7 to D7. What is that? That's a 2-5 going to G, G major, right? Because it's just a regular minor 7th chord. It's not a minor 7 flat 5. Okay, now that's weird, right? Because G major, that's nothing to do with, you know, the key of concert B flat major. Well, just remember that even though it's insinuating a, a major 2-5, th oftentimes, th this this happens in a lot of other songs, actually. Uh, the Shadow of Your Smile is what I'm thinking of, where it's sort of deceptive at first. It's a major 2-5, but then it ends up going to the 1, the minor 1, right? So, yeah, maybe it's not a minor 7 flat 5 to an altered dominant 5, right? It's not that, which is typical of minor harmony. It's kind of deceptive. It's a minor, minor two chord, five chord, but then it resolves to the one. So if we think of it about it that way, really Wayne Shorter's not doing anything too weird. He's doing a chromatic two five, B flat minor seven to E flat seven to A minor seven to D seven. And he's anticipating going back to a G minor, which is the relative minor, which is where the A section starts. I know this is I know this is a lot, and especially for audio, right? This is this is a lot to and that's why looking at the chord chart could be helpful if you're getting a little lost. But instead of going to the minor one chord, he starts the A section over again, which again is just a glorified tritone substitution two five going into G minor. So the last bit of the B section, B flat minor seven, E flat seven, A minor seven, 
D7. Okay? So it all makes sense, actually, if you think about it. He's still aiming towards the relative minor, but then we start this again. Okay? Same thing as the, the first section of the first day. Now we're just on the last day out. Okay, now he's going to repeat it again, but he's closing off the song now. So this is what he's going to do. Check it out. All right, what's going on here? So this is familiar. Okay, that's that E flat 7 sharp 11. Okay, that's the D7. So as if we're going to that G minor... 7 again, right? The, the the relative minor, but we don't. We go What is that? That's a D flat major 7th chord. A D flat major 7th chord. What what's going on here, right? So we have E flat 7, D7, D flat major 7. Man, that sounds good, right? And then he goes to a a C7. Okay, what's going on here? So, okay, again, one more time. Notice what's happening chromatically here. This is really important, okay? Because this is easy to get hung up on this. Like, what is he doing? I'm, I'm freaking out. Okay, don't worry about it. Like, just look at what the bass movement is doing. This is a great compositional thing to do. He's going E flat seven, down a half step to D seven, down a half step to D flat major seven, down a half step to C7, and guess how he ends out the song? Down a half step to B major 7, except for actually he's playing a, a, B, a B major 7 sharp 11, right? So he gets that Lydian sound in there. Right? So that's how he's ending the song. Now that might seem weird too, because right, remember I said we're in the key of B flat, but we're ending on a B major. I mean, that that's weird, right? And right, I can understand why, well, that doesn't really make sense. So why, why are we doing that? On the other hand, it is not absurd to actually sometimes resolve a song on a major seventh chord, a half step up from the one chord. That, that's not unheard. That happens. And sometimes people just do it for the fun of it. And just kind of leave it there like that. So first of all, that's not completely foreign to what composers have done in the past. But more importantly, uh, he's resolving all of it chromatically. So to the ear, it sounds good. E flat 7, D7, D flat major 7, C7, B flat major 7. So he's mixing in these dominant 7th chords and major 7th chords moving down chromatically. So when you get to that part... And you're just like, I don't know how to remember that. Just think, oh, instead of going to the G minor after that tritone 2-5, we're just descending chromatically until we resolve to that, that B major 7 sharp 11. Right? Um, does that make sense? Oh, one more thing to say about that, too. The B major 7, that's also not foreign to this song so far remember we did the whole minor thirds coltrane thing the a flat major seven b major there it is d7 d minor seven 
G7 thing, right? So we've touched B major seven before right now, right? So that that that's FIFO fum, okay? So let's let's boil this down because ultimately this episode isn't just about learning how to play FIFO fum. It, it's more about how to memorize how to learn these difficult songs. So let's let's do three lessons. Three lessons I want you to take from this show from what I talked about on FIFO fum. It doesn't matter if you didn't completely get everything that I was talking about today. That's okay. But I want you to pull out these three lessons. So lesson number one is boil things down. Make it simple. Boil things down. Make it simple. So look at the entire context of the song. Because if you just looked at everything individually by chords, it gets very confusing. You, It's hard to understand what Wayne Shorter is going for. But if we boil things down to its most simplest terms, which in this case, I looked at the entire harmony. I looked at all the form. And I said to myself, oh... Wayne Shorter is in the key of B flat, but he's starting with the relative minor. And essentially, he is mostly aiming, his target is the relative minor, which is G minor, and B flat major, which is the parent major, okay? So number one is boil things down to its simplest terms. Doesn't matter about all the little details in there, just boil it down into its simplicity, okay? Now, the second tip here, for when we're trying to learn difficult songs is work on it section by section. If you're having a hard time understanding on it, understanding it, just work it section by section. I think too often what we try to do is bite off more we can chew with these songs, right? We, we try to learn the whole thing all at once or we just keep going through it and we're not getting it and we're like, well, I, you know, what's happening here? Take four bars and really chew on it, try to figure out what's happening, right? Like at the beginning, that's what we did. It's like, first you have this E flat seven sharp 11. Well, first of all, sharp 11 is just weird to start on, but that's in the melody, right? He has this beautiful melody that has that sharp 11 in there. And then half step down D seven sharp nine, right? What's going on? That's weird. And then to a G minor seven. But if you just slow down and you look at it, you're like, oh, He's just doing a bluesy thing to G minor. That's not so bad, right? So break it down to in smaller pieces because if you if you bite off more than you can chew on it, you're going to get a little overwhelmed. But if you just break it down, okay, that's that's all he was doing there. Okay, that's not so bad. Now what's the next part that he that he's doing here? Oh well, he's going up a half step to A flat major seven, okay, to B major seven to d7 that's crazy what is he doing well all he's doing is he's doing a cycling in minor thirds well that's actually not that hard to memorize if you think about it. if you understand intervals then it's like oh okay this section is just ascending minor thirds he's doing a little cycling thing that's not so bad right so once you do that it starts to become easier to digest okay now my third tip for you the final tip for learning these difficult songs is to understand that this isn't a math equation, okay? So a lot of us, we want to understand completely what was Wayne Shorter thinking? How does two plus two equal four here? How you know what, What's the math behind it? Because is everything working out? Does everything have a diatonic purpose? Does everything make 100% sense? Like it must work somehow, right? There must be something here. And the truth is about composing is that you can make any chord work with any chord if you just resolve it properly, right? 
That's how musicians are able to play, quote unquote, outside of the chord changes. It's not that they stay out there because then it just sounds like bad notes, like wrong notes. It doesn't sound good to the ear, but they always resolve it. So in the case of that last A section with Fee Fi Fo Fum, right? He's going E flat seven, D seven, D flat major seven, C seven, and then ending on a B major seven. And you might say, well, I'm sorry, but B major seven has nothing to do with B flat major, which you said is the parent major. And guess what? That's okay. Because that's what makes this composition interesting is it goes different places. It doesn't always have to line up with some diatonic conclusion, right? That's what makes it interesting. In fact, the genius of Wayne Shorter and many other composers is that they're able to tie these ideas together to make something beautiful and melodic. And there's always some sort of function underneath that's lying underneath, some logic there, right? For example, remember that bluesy 2-5 thing at the beginning? E flat 7, D7, G minor 7. But then how do we get into the bridge? He did this G flat 7, F7, B flat 7. He did the same exact technique to get into the parent major as he did to the relative minor. Isn't that awesome, right? I mean, so, but again, if we just think of like G flat 7 as a chord by itself, it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but if you understand it in the context of that he's resolving to the parent major, it makes sense. So it doesn't always have to make sense though, right? It's okay if it's going like, what, what is the D flat major doing in there? It doesn't matter. It's going chromatically downwards to resolve to the B major. And it's okay that D flat major has nothing to do with B flat major. Does that make sense? I know this is a lot of crazy, a lot of crazy talk. And if you're more of a, a beginner and you're, you don't have as much experience using this lingo, I, I can understand you might feel a little bit confused, but again, just boil it down to those three things. Okay. Tip number one, is boil it down to its its most simple form that you can possibly make it. Tip number two is break it down into small sections. Don't try to bite off more you can chew. And tip number three is be open and understanding that not everything has to make mathematical sense. Okay? Those are my tips for learning difficult songs. And I think if you go through it like this way, you're going to find that all these really difficult harmonic jazz compositions aren't really as bad as they seem. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. I, I really do appreciate it. I don't take for granted. I hope that you learned something today, uh, either about FIFO, FIFO, FUM, or just in general learning these difficult songs and how to approach them. And hey, you know, the Jazz Standards Playbook, that's a book that I really believe in. Uh, I, I, I've i seen how it's affected a lot of musicians, and I get emails from a lot of the people that have that book in that companion course, especially the people in the companion course getting huge value out of it. So if you want to really dive into jazz standards, it's a study of 10 jazz standards that are really important, then go to thejazzstandardsplaybook.com and sign up to get that. Uh, it's it's a very valuable resource and uh, just hope that you dive into that material. All right, last but le- not least, if you got value at today's show and you haven't done this before, you've been listening for a while and you love the show, then rate and review it on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening service. And we really greatly appreciate that. That really helps out the show. Free way to give back. 
takes about a minute of your time or so. And I do read every single one of those reviews and it makes my day. So I do appreciate that in advance. All right, that's all for today's show. We're going to be coming out with another one next week. I'll see you back then. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. That's LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.